Welcome to Fort William Baptist Church Audio Sermons. We're so glad you could join with us today. This fall, we have begun a new sermon series called Soteriology. During this series, we will aim to unpack how our God applies salvation to sinful men and women. We are returning to the great doctrines of a sustained and refreshed Christ Church since the days of the Apostles. With the great works of God before us, effectual calling, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification, our hearts will be stirred up to hunger more of the work of God. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Brothers and sisters, would you turn in your Bibles? We're going to be in the book of 1 John this morning. Our sermon text is 1 John 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And so we're in a series, and it's called Soteriology, and we're, we're studying the saving works of God. And so Christ has won a great salvation. He, he died and he rose again. And so in this study, we're asking, how does, how does God take all of that which is in Christ and apply it to us, the sinner? And we've boiled soteri- soteriology down to a three-word sentence. God saves sinners. And this morning, we're going to look at the matter of faith. So let's read together 1 John 5, starting in verse 1. John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your words. So we're looking at faith this morning. And before we can do anything this morning, before we can say anything about faith, we need to work to get our hearts in the right gear. We're not going to have any, attra- any traction in our hearts unless we're, we're going in the right direction, unless our hearts are inclined towards faith. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to listen to a, a prayer from a, a Puritan pastor. His name's David Clarkson. And in this prayer, he, he models for us the posture of a godly heart. He models for us of a man inclined towards faith. So just listen to what he prays. Give me faith, Lord, or I die. I may live without friends, wealth, honors, or pleasures, but I cannot live without faith. There is nothing but death for me in unbelief. Lord, whatever you deny me, do not deny me faith. I am lost, undone, I perish. I am a dead man without faith. It would have been better if I had never been born than to live in unbelief. Your wrath would weigh on me while I live in this horrible state, and it would be that way forever. I will never see life unless I believe. There is no hope for me until then. My case is miserable and desperate until I believe, and I can never believe unless you give me faith. Lord, 
Give me faith or else I die. It is miserable to be excluded from life, to be dead while I live. Unless you give me faith, I will never see life. What misery it is to be under divine wrath. How unavoidable the misery of those who are under abiding wrath. What joy can I have in any enjoyment when your wrath is mixed with all? What comfort can my life be to me if your wrath hangs continually over me? Lord, hear me, I pray. Bring my soul out of this mire, out of this clay, out of this unbelief, out of this pit where there is no water, no comfort, no refreshment, and no relief. You take no pleasure in the misery of wretched creatures. It is no delight to you that I am miserable, but rather that I should live. And so I pray, Lord, give me faith or I will never see life. Give me faith or else I will be forever miserable. So in the midst of that prayer, we hear these, these punchy petitions. He prays, give me faith, Lord, or I will die. Lord, give me faith or I will never see life. Give me faith or I will be forever miserable. And so in light of this prayer, I ask you this morning, what does your soul say about faith this day? What's your reaction to this prayer? As you listen to this prayer, does it seem a bit exaggerated to you, over the top, out of control? Does the matter of faith seem like a life and death reality to you? Do these words stir up a, a hunger and a thirst in your soul? Do you see faith as something more valuable than, than friends or wealth or honor or prestige or pleasures? Are you ready to seek after faith today, to pursue faith, to ask for faith, to, to beg for faith until you get faith? Are you greedy for faith? Or are you happy with what you have? Are you just content with where you're at? Are you like a warrior fighting against unbelief? What does your soul say today about faith? Well, here's the truth. Our hearts cannot be stuck in neutral gear when it comes to the matter of faith. We cannot tolerate any callousness. We cannot sleepwalk through this life. We cannot be content with the measure of faith that we have. We must always be striving and seeking more faith. And when you go to the Bible, the Bible places an incredibly heavy load of weight on this matter of faith. We can say this. The man, the woman, the child who has faith has absolutely everything that matters in this life. Would you have the forgiveness of sins? You must have faith. Would you avoid condemnation and the coming judgment of God? You must have faith. Would you like to enter into eternal life and share the bliss of that? You must have faith. Would you like to taste and see and know the mercy and the love of Jesus? You must have faith. Would you like to commune with Jesus and know his near presence and his fellowship? You must have faith. Would you like to be a faithful worker in Jesus' vineyard, fruitful in all that you do? You have to have faith. And it's for this reason that the scriptures give us the strongest encouragements and exhortations toward faith. 
in the face of our doubt, in, in the face of our unbelief. Jesus, has put, Jesus pushes us forward. He comes along to us and he gives us these gracious promises so that we might believe. He speaks to our fickle hearts and he says this, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus wants us to take that promise to heart. And we're in the midst of temptation, struggling in it. What does Jesus do? He comes alongside of us and he prays for our tempted hearts. Jesus prays like this for his people. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And the Christian life is a long, hard battle. Is it not? And the Apostle Paul comes beside us in Holy Scripture at the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. And what does he say to us? He, he rallies us to faith and he says this, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in it. And in the, faces, in the face of our failures and our many sins, we are, are comforted with the promises of the gospel as they're connected to faith. Are you struggling with sin today? Take encouragement in the promises of God as they're connected to faith. Peter preaches, Acts chapter 10, verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Glorious. But we can also say this, the man, the woman, the child who does not have faith lacks absolutely everything that matters. You might have wealth, you might have honors, you might have prestige, you might have a job, you might have all that you want in this life, but you have to realize you lack everything that matters. If you don't have faith, you do not have forgiveness. If you do not have faith, you do not have eternal life. If you do not have faith, you do not know the love or the mercy or the grace of Jesus Christ. If you do not have faith, you don't have Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He speaks about this matter in John chapter 3. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. And because of this, when we go to the scriptures, we are warned again and again and again to flee from unbelief. When you look at Jesus' ministry, you can ask this question, what caused Jesus, Jesus' grief in his heart? Well, it's a matter of unbelief. We find Jesus lamenting. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to, to bear with you? When the author to the Hebrews writes this pastoral letter, what does, he, what does he want the people to be on the look for, to watch against? Well, he writes this. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. In the scriptures, they, they show us in graphic detail what belongs to those who lack faith. The end of the Bible says this, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
And so for good reason, for biblical reasons, we should pray with David Clarkson. Give me faith, Lord, or I die, Lord. Give me faith or I will never see life. Give me faith or I will be miserable forever. Faith is a necessity. So that's a long introduction to faith, but the hope of that introduction is that that introduction would start to move us towards faith, to incline our hearts toward it. And this should raise a question in our minds. If we're moving towards faith, well, what is this faith that we need so badly? So here's a definition. Faith, saving faith, is both a, a gracious gift from God and also an act of the soul whereby they who are hopeless, helpless, and lost in themselves do in a way of expectancy and trust seek for all help and relief in Christ alone. So you think about faith, there's two components to it. It's first of all a gift from God. It comes from God. And then what does it do? It, it takes root in our soul. So it's an act of the soul. What does faith do? Well, it's expressed in this movement of the soul towards Jesus. We're hopeless, we're helpless, we're lost. And we seek out Christ for all help and all relief. And so soteriology is about this. God saves sinners. And so we can work away at that phrase this morning. We said God saves sinners by calling sinners to himself. We've said God saves sinners by making dead sinners alive. We said last week, God saves sinners by making sinners miserable. And this week we can say, God saves sinners by giving sinners faith. God saves sinners by giving sinners faith. So we're going to work away at this definition from 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. And so we read the passage, and it's clear from our first reading of the passage that John is concerned about faith. In verse 1, he draws our attention to faith. He says, everyone who believes... And then our text ends with another mention of faith. Verse 5, the one who believes. So we've got these bookends of faith in these verses. And then everything in between these bookends is about faith as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on these verses and we're going to ask four questions about faith. And what we're going to do is we ask these questions we're going to be praying (laughs) that the Lord would be inclining our heart toward faith, asking that the Lord would give us faith as we study faith from the scriptures. So here are the questions. First, where does faith come from? Second, with what is faith concerned? Third, why do I need faith? And fourth, how can I know that I have faith? So where does faith come from? With what is faith concerned? Why do I need faith? How can I know that I have faith? So first question, where does faith come from? So we've already established this fact. Faith in Christ is absolutely necessary. And so if we own that, we want to know where it comes from. And here we have to assert that saving faith in Christ does not lie in fallen man, the origin of it, but rather in God. And sometimes we get confused about the origin, the source of saving faith. Faith is used all the time in our culture. We wrongly think that saving faith in Christ just naturally resides in the fallen man. 
So here's an illustration that might help us think about this truth a bit. We can think about it like mining for diamonds. So put the situation in your mind. You, you've bought in this parcel of land because you think there are, are diamonds there. There's, there's rumor that there's diamonds there. So you make this investment, you buy this parcel of land, and, and you're going to do your homework. And so you send out geologists to check out the land, and they do their research, and they come back to you, and they say, yes, there are indeed diamonds there. And so you're encouraged, and they tell you all that you need to do is you need to buy some, some equipment and then you just need to go and you need to start digging. You need to start stripping away the land, rock and dirt. And if you just put in the time and the money and the energy, the diamonds are there for you. They're just residing there in that parcel of land. And so when we think about the source of faith, sometimes we think about faith like that. It's just, it's just there in the natural man. If we just strip away, work away, we'll find it within us. However, the scriptures tell us a different story, and so we can change this illustration when we listen to the scriptures. So you bought this parcel of land because you heard there are diamonds there. And so what do you do? Well, you send out your, your geologists, and they go out and they, they do their work. They're scouring the land for diamonds, and they come back to you and they say, well, we've got bad news for you. And they say this. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, that's discouraging. And that's not the report you wanted to hear. So you just disregard their research. And you say, well, I think there are diamonds here. And so you begin to dig and you spend all your money. You exert all your energy. You strip away dirt after dirt, rock after rock. And what do you find after you exert your money and your energy? Well, the scriptures say, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The scriptures say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What's the point here? Well, you can dig down as far as you want into the human soul. You can excavate a man's heart. You can inquire into the will of a man and you will find all sorts of things. But the one thing you will never find is this saving faith. And so we ask, well, where does saving faith come from? And we can just put on our thinking caps here. If saving faith isn't to be found within us, then it has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from outside of us. There must be another source. And this is where we connect to 1 John. 1 John 5, 1. Look there. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Just think about those words. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. John is telling us that there is something antecedent to faith. Something has happened to the believer that causes the believer to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so what happens? Well, John points us to the new birth. Those who believe and only those who believe have been born of God. John is helping us see the truth. Faith arises not from our own strength, but from what? From God's gracious work in our hearts. Faith comes not from our own natural resources, but instead from the renewing work of God when he intervenes in our lives and makes us alive. And as we think about what John says here in chapter 5, verse 1, this starts to do something to us. We need to seek for faith. We need to strive after faith. We want faith, right? Right? 
This does something to us. Where do we get faith from? We get it from God. And so if we want faith, what do we need to do? We need to call out to God. We need to plead with God for faith. We don't look into ourselves trying to stir up faith. We seek the face of God and he will give us faith. So question number one, where does faith come from? It comes from God. Question number two, with what is faith concerned? What does faith look at? What is faith consumed with? Well, look at verse one. John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now look at verse five. We can read that as well. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So what is faith concerned with? John points us the answer. He says faith is concerned with with Jesus. And, And John is repeating this phrase so we can't miss it. Believes that Jesus is the Christ. Believes that Jesus is the son of God. So what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Christ? I just want to give you three words that help us understand what this means. So the first word is knowledge. So if we're to believe, we need to know something. So the one who believes knows about Jesus' work. He knows what Jesus has done. John says he believes that Jesus is the Christ. And so the the believer knows something about the accomplishments of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his, his second coming. Even more, the believer knows something about the person of Jesus. John says he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The believer knows about the deity of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the the worth of Jesus. We've got knowledge. We've got a second word that goes along with it. And the second word is assent. So the believer knows something about Jesus, who he is, what he has done. But we have to be clear that this knowledge of Jesus is just not random facts. We have so many random facts stored in our minds and they just, they just jumble about up there. But the truth about Jesus isn't like that. In faith, we give assent to the truth about Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means this. In faith, we give a wholehearted yes and amen to the truth about Jesus. We hear about the work of Jesus, his death, and what do we say? We say, yes. We hear about his resurrection from the dead, and we say, yes. We hear about his deity, his divinity, and we say, yes. I agree. I love that. And a third word, trust. So we've got knowledge, we've got assent, and then these two words lead us to the most important words, trust. In faith, we entrust ourselves to Jesus in all that he has done for us. So biblical faith is an involved reality. We have to be clear, faith is not just a decision for Jesus. Like you can just walk into the voters booth and cast your vote for Jesus and that's it. Rather, faith in Jesus is this whole-souled movement towards Christ. We can think about it like this. The Lord Jesus is a great rock, and in faith we stand upon him. You can think about one of the lakes we have around here. You go out in the lake, and there are these giant rocks in the middle of lakes. You can imagine the, 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 the wind and the waves are blowing, but the rock never moves. And what do we do in faith? We stand on the rock that is Christ. 
The Lord Jesus, we can think about it like this, is a saving refuge, and in faith we hide in him. A great storm comes, and what do we do? We take shelter in Jesus. We can think about it like this. The Lord Jesus is our doctor, and in faith we come for his help. We've got cancer, and no one can heal us, but we run in Christ. We run to Christ, and he has all that can help us. Or we can say this. The Lord Jesus is our friend, and in faith we come to find his embrace and his fellowship. And so what is faith concerned with? We say faith is supremely concerned with Jesus, knowing who Jesus is and saying yes to all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done, even more running to Jesus, taking refuge in Jesus, standing upon Jesus, receiving from Jesus, enjoying his embrace and his fellowship trusting in Jesus so that's the second question we can ask a third question well why do I need faith this might be the most important question why do I need faith so if you read through the letter of 1st John you'll find this we have an enemy And John gives an interesting name to this enemy. The enemy goes by the name the world. And this force, the world, opposes God and its king is Satan himself. The world lies and works to cover up the truth about Jesus. But we have to know something about this enemy we face. It's not just an enemy out there outside the gates, but it's also an enemy that has taken up residence within us. The world lies in people. Listen to how John talks about the world. Chapter 2, verse 16, he says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So as we think about this enemy, it's just not out there, but it's taken up residence in us. The desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, we're involved with this enemy. And according to John... When we come to 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5, we learn that there is a a way of escape from this enemy. Even more, there's a way to conquer and vanquish this enemy. We just don't escape from it, but we can ride over it and conquer it. The question is, well, how do we do that? Look at verses 4 and 5. John writes, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Just mull that over. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What a strange victory John talks about here. It's a victory of faith and by faith. We overcome, we vanquish, we conquer the world, not through our mighty deeds, our our heroic efforts. We conquer not by grabbing a sword or picking up a shield or grabbing some weapons and making an advance against the world. Instead, we conquer how? By grabbing hold of Jesus, the Son of God. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We ask, well, how does this work, John? I'm trying to understand this. And when we ask that question, how does this work? That question brings us to the the heart of faith. 
Because in faith, we are connected to and we are grafted into the great victor himself. In faith, we are joined to the serpent-smashing, sin-atoning, death-conquering king, Jesus Christ. And all that Christ accomplished in his ministry, in his death, and in his resurrection, and in his heavenly session, is ours freely. We conquer because Jesus has conquered, and we conquered by being connected to him by faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. John has such a pastoral heart, and he wants to celebrate this victory that we have. And sometimes we just get confused about the victory we have. We get stuck in the middle of life, and we don't see the joy that there is in this victory. And so John does this interesting thing. If you go into chapter 2 of your Bible, John gives us this like poem slash song. And what he wants to do is he wants to press this victory into the hearts of his people. He wants them to know what they have in faith as they trust Jesus. Listen to John how he celebrates the victory we have. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. What's John doing? He's celebrating the faith that overcomes the world. And what is he doing? He's looking at his people, and he's saying, you have done this. Don't you see it? When you trusted in Jesus, all your sins were forgiven. Celebrate. When you trusted in Jesus, you've come to know the one who's from the beginning. You've come to know the Father. Celebrate. When you trusted in Jesus, you have overcome the evil one himself. So you should should celebrate. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So why do we need faith? There's only one way to overcome the world. Faith in the Son of God. So question number four, our last question. How can I know that I have faith? We can ask that question a bit differently. How can I know that I've shared in this victory over the world? How can I know that I'm a conqueror with Jesus? Well, John gives us an answer, and it's so clear. Verse three, he says, His commandments are not burdensome. Do you have faith this day? Do you want to know if you have true biblical faith? Do you want to know if you've overcome the world? It's revealed right here. His commandments are not burdensome to you. Think about this. When we were in bondage to the world, when we were in league with the world, God's commandments were like heavy weights. It's like a backpack filled with weights that just crush us down to the ground. God's commandments were like shackles placed on our wrists and on our ankles. And we had no desire for them. And every opportunity we had, we we pushed back against God's commandments. But the victory of faith produces the most notable change in God's people. His commandments aren't burdensome. No longer are these commandments a heavy load to bear. Instead, they're a delight to us. No longer do they bind us and constrain us like fetters. Instead, they set us free. No longer do we push back against them, but we, we long to run after them and perform them and do them. We ask, well, what are these commandments? 
What have we been set free to, to do? Well, if you look at verses one through three, John points us to the two great commandments. He is borrowing right from the Lord Jesus. He's summing up the whole law. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we can ask, well, how can I know if I have true biblical faith? How can I know that I've shared in Jesus' victory over the world, that I too am a conqueror? Well, the evidence will be this. It'll be in your heart. You have a heart inclined towards God. You will treasure him above everything else. You you will cherish him. You You will think about him and your affections will be inclined towards him. Even more, and this is really practical, your heart will be inclined towards all the children of the Father. If you have participated in Jesus' victory, you will love all of those born by God. That's what John tells us. And so there we have faith. Faith comes from where? Faith comes from God and God alone. It's his gift to give. And what is faith concerned with? Faith is concerned with Jesus, what he has done and who he is. Why do we need faith? Because faith overcomes the world. It sets us free. And how can we know that we have faith? Well, we will love God and we love God's people. So we can close by going back to how we started. And I ask you, what does your soul say about faith this day? Are you seeking faith? Are you pursuing faith? Are you hungry for faith? Are you thirsty for faith? Knowing this, the man, the woman, the child who has faith has absolutely everything that matters. Is that how you pursue faith? Are you striving to put to death unbelief? Knowing that the man, the woman, the child who doesn't have faith lacks absolutely everything that matters. My prayer for you is that you would go to the Lord that you would use words like these, praying, give me faith, Lord, or I will die. Lord, give me faith or I will never see life. Give me faith or I will be miserable forever. Faith is that important. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do pray. Give us faith. We need it. We long for it. We thirst for it. Would you be so gracious now to pour faith out upon us that we might believe, believe once again in Christ. Oh, Father, you are gracious and we bank upon your promises knowing that you delight in giving us good gifts. And so would you magnify your name now by giving us faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.